Well, hello again. Good to see you all this morning. We are continuing to uh, study the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 15 talking about the resurrection. And I have a question for you. Have you ever wanted a new body? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to rise from the dead? Have you thought about that? Or have you ever thought about the resurrection body, the We're going to be talking about that this morning. Is this something that you have thought about? What will it be like? The Corinthians thought about it. They weren't quite concerned that it was a reality. They had questions about it. Uh, They had questions about whether Christ had risen from the dead. We saw that, and, and Paul talked to them and said, Look, if he hasn't risen from the dead, then we are pitiable people, and we're still in our sins. But then there are someone who, some that say, he says, but someone will say, and someone probably did say in Corinth, uh, you know, that is, some people are saying this, someone will say, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? Actually, it seems like a good question, doesn't it? It's astonishing, somewhat baffling to think about the resurrection of the dead. Um, honestly, to date... There has only been one person that has raised from the dead in a true resurrection body. And that's the key, a true resurrection body. Their question is, well, how do they, how do they come? How do they come to life? How does this happen? What kind of a body do they come when they come back to life? They were most likely thinking of something like Lazarus in the ministry of Jesus, he raised a number of people from the dead. Lazarus, of course, the most noteworthy. And after four days, Lazarus being in the tomb, Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus came forth, he was a man that had been dead for four days and God made him alive. And they were thinking, you know, Uncle Bob has been in the grave for two years and, you know, how is, how is he going to come back to life when Jesus comes back? And what Paul is going to say is, it is not just making a dead body alive. There's more to it than that. It is different. It's different than just reanimating a corpse, if you will. That is not the resurrection. It is different. So, if you have your Bibles... I would like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 35 through 49, where we see the answer to that question. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 49, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to stand to honor its reading this morning. And would you listen very carefully, for this is about you, and this is about the glory of God, but it's ultimately about God bringing glory to himself through what he will do to you, through you one day, raising you from the dead. Verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. 
But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection from the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, so will we also bear the image of the heavenly. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. It speaks to us fresh today. We thank you for the hope and the comfort that is found in these words, and I pray that you would guide us through by your spirit. Open our hearts and minds to understand. By your spirit, may we not just understand, but believe and live the truths that we see in this passage. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Corinthians want to know how this can be. How can there be a resurrection? And he's talking not about Christ's resurrection. He's talking about the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He's dealt with Christ's resurrection. Of course, that is certain. And remember, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That is, those who have died believing in Jesus. And they were thinking that it would just be, you know, people just come to life. And Paul is saying, no, it's different. It's something, it's something quite different. And he, and he begins with some very strong language. As he's going to show us, the difference is seen between what they think and what the real resurrection is. It is seen in all of creation. He's going to show that in all of creation, we see this difference when it comes to, to, to plants and living things and heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. He's going to show in, in, in all of creation, there we will see this difference between earthly and heavenly. Plants, living things, and earthly and heavenly bodies. He starts with this strong language and he says, you fool, having, you're asking the question, well, how do people come to, to alive again who are dead? That's foolish. And then he uses an, uh, an agrarian um, example, uh, one from nature, to explain that, that even nature tells us how this will be. The reason he calls him a fool, the idea of a fool in the scripture is someone who, who leaves God out of everything. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, right? And the Corinthians were living as agnostics. We saw that in, uh, in verse 34 last week. Become sober-minded, clear thinking, as you should. And stop, stop sinning, because some have no knowledge of God. And you, you should be shamed, he said, because you're, you're living, Corinthians, as if you don't even believe in God. And that's the point here. You're asking, well, how can God raise people from the dead? 
you're a fool if you don't include God in this. And that's what they were doing. That's what they were not doing. They were not including God. And he gives this example. He says, well, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. And he uses an example that, of course, the Corinthians being more of an agrarian society, some of you were raised on a farm, lived on a farm, maybe you've had a garden all your life, but most people just get their stuff at the store, right? We don't grow a lot of things. They would understand. And he basically says this. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's talking about a bare piece of grain. We don't normally talk about grain that way as dying, do we? When you plant something in the ground, I'm going to go kill a bunch of corn by, by putting them in the ground. He is using symbolic language because he's going to say it is going to die. It is going to be raised a new body. And he's talking about us. And he's using the very simple example, the analogy of planting uh, uh, some wheat in the ground so that it would become something else. We don't think of it as, as dying. Uh, if we think of that grain as alive. In fact, if the Mars rover or whatever it is on Mars right now, uh, if they scooped up one bit of grain on Mars, what would be the headlines? We're not alone. Life in the universe. It would be an, an incredible discovery. But this, what happens is this, this grain, it, it doesn't die per se, but it ceases to exist in its present form. And it, it is changed into something else. It is changed into something more. It is changed into something better. It is no longer just a grain. It becomes uh, a stock. He uses the word body. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you don't sow the body. We don't talk about a stalk of wheat or a stalk of corn as the body. We talk about it as the stalk. So he's using the word, using the word die as buried and the stalk as body. It's an illustration of how when you die, you are planted in the ground. When Christ comes back, you are changed. You're not what you were. There's a fundamental change. You, there, you, you cease to exist in this body, and you are changed into something else, and the something else that you are changed into is more than what you are now. It is better than what you are now. It is not just, again, a corpse given new life. That's not what he's talking about. It's different. It's different. The grain dies, it ceases to exist, and it becomes something that is more death, burial, resurrection. You die, you're buried, you come to life. And he says anybody can understand that from the, the a smallest seed. God, ha, God shows us the process, he also says, is, is ordained of God in verse 38. God gives it a body. He's talking about seeds. The, the, you know, it, he's not talking about just us here, but he says God gives it, that grain, a body, the stalk, just as he wills, and to each of the seeds a body is given. You see this, this total control and sovereignty of God in all of creation, even down to a seed being planted. 
And he's saying, just like that seed, if, if God is controlling by his will and choosing which seeds produce what, how much more will you, as a seed, as a husk, be transformed into something different when Christ comes back? God has built the, the principle of resurrection into the smallest parts of creation. And he's saying to them, even you can see that. You can see that by planting grain, by planting wheat, by planting uh, flax, by planting corn, by planting flowers. You don't take a, uh, a flower and plant it in the, the, the stalk of it, in the, the stem in the ground. You plant the seeds. You don't plant what it will be. You plant what it will become what it is to become. And so are our bodies when we die. And God shows that principle in the smallest parts of creation for which he is to be praised. He says, each of the seeds has a body of its own and he is pointing forward to us. Each of us as seeds will have a body of our own that God will individually change and raise from the dead. So he uses plants. And then he turns to living things in verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another flesh of fish. The point that he's making here is that there are different kinds of bodies. There are human beings and he's going to, uh, they're, they're different from animals, birds and fish because he's going to tell us and we know that we are created in the image of God and he's going to talk about the first Adam that we we read about but at this point he's just making the point that of the living beings on earth there are humans there are animals there are birds and fish and when you are going to the banquet and you're doing RSVP and uh, what is your selection for your entree it says beef chicken or fish right it doesn't say human beef, chicken, or fish. That would be a very weird banquet. All he's doing is pointing out the fact that there are different kinds of beings that live on this earth. Humans are exceptional. And he's making the point that if there are different kinds of beings, you know, your, your cat isn't going to be raised from the dead. I'm sorry to say. Oh, actually, I'm glad to say. Your dog, your dog will not be raised from the dead, I'm sorry to say. Humans will be. And everything is different. The point he's saying where, where he says, but God does this and you are fools. The lesson for us is it is foolish to not include God in every part of our lives. It is foolish to not include him in everything that happens in our life, large and small. If he is involved in plants, growing into things, if he's involved in our resurrection one day, then how much more is he interested in our finances, our marriage, our health, everything that we do? It is foolish to not include God in everything that we do. He is, he's part of it, whether you recognize it or not. He is involved whether you recognize it or not. But the cognizant, uh, cognizance of that is living the life of faith and living the life of de dependence. That If he's involved in seeds growing and every different seed, how much more is he involved in my life? So he talks about plants. 
He talks about living things, and then he talks about heavenly and earthly bodies in verses 40 through 41. And the heavenly and the earthly bodies are the sun, the moon, the stars, and differing stars. He, he says there is also, not only are there different plants that grow, and not only are there different kinds of living beings, he says there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. And he is talking here about in nature we see the sun and the moon and the stars, and they have a different, a varying kind of glory. Now when we, we speak of the word glory, we've talked of this many times. In the Old Testament, the idea, uh, the Hebrew word for glory means heavy, weighty. And so when we talk about the glory of God, it means he is an important, the most weighty, heavy, important person in all of the universe. Because the sum total of his attributes, you know, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his compassion, his, his justice, his holiness, his power, his, his eternality, he possesses all, possesses all of those perfections infinitely. And so the sum total of God is glory. He is heavy. And he is to be praised. And when we bring glory to God, we make all of those things known. When we preach the gospel, we're making known that he is a merciful God, that he is a forgiving God, that he is Lord, that he is, he is he's God of creation. And when we talk about bringing glory to God, we're always shining the spotlight on him to make what God is like known to others. But there's another way in which the word glory is used, and that is the idea of shining or brilliance or a light. We often talk of the Shekinah glory that is spoken of in the Scripture. And this is where, for instance, the the pillar of fire in in the desert uh, with Israel. When Moses came to the burning bush, there was this brightness and uh, the scriptures say that, that God dwells in inapproachable light. We cannot come to him. He is holy, like we're saying. And that means we, there has to be some pathway for us to come to him because there is this holiness that is oftentimes demonstrated in the scriptures as, as this bright light. And we know the story in the scripture when the Nazis looked into the Ark of the Covenant and their, mel- their faces melted. Remember that story? Actually, probably pretty, 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 pretty accurate what would happen if someone were to look in the full face of God. No one can look at God and live, the scriptures say. Because the brilliance and the shining and, and the, the, just the, the inapproachable light of the glory of God is too much for the, for the infinite to comprehend. He's finite, we're infinite, and the full glory of God, we're done. That's why so many times when the Lord appeared, people said, I'm a dead man. It's over for me because I have seen the Lord. No, his, his glory is veiled. And Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, sorry, I can't do that. But I'll show you a little bit. And that glory is, that glory is, is veiled in this world and, and is not diminished. It, it is just muted for the time being. But there is a glory that we see the sh- the, in the shining sense in all of creation. The glory of the sun. The, glo- the, the sun is the, the, the greatest lights in the heavens. Psalm 19 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring all the works of His hands. 
Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. The voice is not heard. In other words, every night, the sun, the moon, every day, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they're, they're saying something about the glory of God, but they're not using words to say it. They're saying God is infinite. He's creative. He's heavy. He's weighty. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, the sky, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit is to the other end. And nothing is hidden from its heat. That is the sun. And we have the glory of the sun. We see it every day. We can't get away from it. Day, every day, it's faithfully in the sky because God has placed it there. And so there's the, the glory of, of the sun, and then there's the glory of the full moon. I just love a full moon, and I just I, I, I have a little app on my phone. I'm waiting for the, the full moon to come around because I'll, I'll wait and I'll look out there, and Tara, you know, I'm always saying, Tara, you need to come and see the moon. Oh, yeah, here we go again. But anyway, it comes up in the, it comes up in the east over here and over here, and, and it's, it just it's thrilling. And you don't even pay attention to the stars. Just over the horizon, it's, it's huge and it's beautiful and it's, it's reflecting the sun from the other side. It's glorious. And then the, the, then the glory of the stars. And for the Corinthians, uh, they didn't have light pollution. and They, uh, they didn't have uh, street lamps and storefronts. And, and uh, if you were living in Corinth at that time, you might have a candle in your house. But you walk outside at night, you might see a distant glow in some houses, and maybe somebody's got a bonfire. But you look up, and look up and see the lights right now in this room. You see the, it's like the, the stars, and you see them, they just, oh, you've been there, out camping, high in a mountain. You just, oh, the stars have a glory of their own. And some are pulsating, and that's why he makes a difference. There is the glory of the stars, for star differs from glory to glory. And he's tipping his hand toward us that we are made different even as the stars. He knows their name and he knows your name. And we are more valuable than sparrows and ravens and stars. And yet he knows us. And we know why there's one star that's twinkle, twinkle little star and another one that's dim. One is close, one is far, one is uh, maybe a pulsar, one is maybe a supernova. Who knows? We have all the, the explanations. But for them and for the, the, the simple average person, they go out and they say, wow, look at that one. And that one I can hardly see. And that is the difference that God has made in the glories of creation, all to show us his glory. It is seen everywhere. Like we sang in, in this morning, there's not a plant or flower below that does not show the glory of God. Last Sunday, we were out on our patio having Father's Day barbecue, and we were talking about uh, some plants in our yard, and there's this thing called a, well, a bearded goat, but it's a type of fern. We have ferns. And one of my sons said, did you know that on the, on the flip side of a fern leaf that, that it's full of seeds? I said, no. And he went and, and, he, and he picked one up, and, and sure enough, there's this one leaf and, and just this, these perfect rows, all these seeds. And, and my first thought is, Glory. That's the design of God. And if we had this glory dial, 
and we could just kind of tune and fine-tune that glory, if we could bring it up to, to full volume, we would be incinerated. Because ultimately in that leaf is the glory of God. But plants are different from living beings, and living beings are different from stars. And the variation of the sun and the moon and the stars indicates the differences between our natural body and our spiritual body, which we will receive at the resurrection. And that is the point that he's making. So here, God's work in creation guarantees your resurrection. If he can do all that, yes, well, how can people come back from the dead? What kind of body will they have? Look at nature. If God can do all that, how hard is it for a supernatural God to do what he has promised, which is to, when Christ comes back, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, and we will most likely all be dead. Who knows? Maybe he'll come back today. But if we are all dead when he comes back, we have been this husk of a seed that has been planted in the ground, and we will be changed from that to this. By virtue of his power, his creative power. And again, just as he knows all the stars and calls them by name, so does he know you. The moment of your birth, the moment of your death, the moment of your resurrection when Christ returns. And how much more valuable are you to him? This is a source of comfort, ladies and gentlemen. In the face of death. Death will be defeated, right? We've seen that, but it is not defeated yet. Just found out one of our our ladies, Joyce Anthony, died on Friday. It, It happens all the time. She's with the Lord. But the specter of death is over our shoulder all the time, isn't it, in our lives? It is always there. You don't always notice it, but it is always there. But when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and the glory of creation and leaves and plants and animals and fish and birds, praise God for your promised resurrection. Because it is. So he shows this difference seen between a natural body and a body that will be raised in all of creation. And then in verses 30, 42 rather through 44, he shows the difference between now and then. In other words, what are you like now? What will you be like then? This answers the question, well, what kind of body? He says, well, I'll show you what kind of body. So the resurrection describes the before and after. You've all seen the before and after pictures, right? You know, if you're on social media or, you know, anywhere online, you know, there's the, you know, the, the guy that looks like this and then he looks like this after six weeks, you know. You can too. Well, that's good. I mean, with those before and after, they're, they're great because it's great to get in shape. It's great to lose weight. Six weeks. What's it going to be like six years from now? Can you maintain that? I mean, there's the point where we can't, right? But we can in eternity. And he uses the formula, it is sown, it is raised, it is sown, it is raised. He goes back to the the seed illustration. You're planted in the ground, something changes, and you come out better than what you were different. 
You're not what you once were. Some there's a sameness because the 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 there's the DNA of who you are and what you look like and in your body, but it comes out something different. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Just as plants are different, living beings are different, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies are different, then he says, so is the resurrection of the dead. So imperishable, raised imperishable. So in a dishonor, raised in glory. So in weakness, raised in power. So in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. These all describe what Christ's body was like, but what yours will be like. So remember the foolish question, well, how are the dead raised and what kind of a body? This is it. First of all, it is sown perishable and raised imperishable. Our resurrection bodies will be indestructible. Perishable. Yeah, you know what perishable is? You, you buy perishable things at the store. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went out to our freezer to, to get something to thaw out, and I'm rummaging through. I hate those big ch- Anyway, uh, rummaging, trying to find something in the bottom. And I noticed out on the, the counter next to it, there was this... Um, there was this plastic bag with this horrible-looking gray something. It was hamburger that apparently I wasn't thinking some weeks before was looking for something, and then I just kind of put it up there. Uh, meat has an expiration date. <laughs> and so does our bodies. We cannot go past the number of days. We should take care of our bodies, yes. But there are only so many days that God has given to you, and this body is perishable. But the raised body is imperishable. That means it cannot be corrupted by death and sin. We will be in a state that will never, ever be subject to decay. We will be immortal. And this describes Christ's body, and we are reconstituted after the fashion of his body. Our resurrection bodies will be indestructible. No more death. Next, he says, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Our resurrection bodies will be glorious. Sown in dishonor, meaning uh, we, we live in sin. Our bodies are racked by sin. David said, in sin I was conceived. And that doesn't mean that his mom and dad were committing adultery. It just means we live in a sinful world and every one of us are conceived in a sinful world. And we take the sinful flesh of our father and his father and his father and his father all the way back to Adam. It's a dishonorable thing. Our bodies are dishonored, really, from their original purpose by God, by sin. But glory, we are raised in glory, and, and this is not the, the shining type of glory. Maybe there is. Maybe there's some glow to our resurrection bodies. I don't know. But I think this is more the idea of the glory of God. Our new bodies are glorious as opposed to dishonorable by sin, because sin is removed and now is total holiness and righteousness. And our bodies fully reflect the glory of God, not veiled, not muted, but fully seen in what God recreates in these bodies. Next he says, we are sown in weakness. We are raised in power. 
our resurrection bodies will be powerful. I hope we can fly. (laughs) I dream about it all the time. We will be able to run faster. And why would you want to run in heaven? Because you can. And some of you can't now. But some of you will. Weakness, normally the word weakness is a word that's used of, of illness. We're just given to illness. All sorts of things. Cancer, sickness, diabetes. It's all a feature of sin and death. And everything is corrupted by it. Everything. Uh, the last couple of days, Tara and I had this kind of, kind of bug thing and just didn't feel good. It happens all the time, doesn't it? They come and they go. Our bodies are weak. We get tired. We have to sleep, for goodness sake. We have to sit down and rest. I can't stand up anymore. My feet hurt. My back hurt. Hurts, whatever it may be, our bodies are weak, but raised in power. This makes the simple point that uh, our current bodies will, will be sown in the ground because of the weakness of sin and death, but our new bodies will be free of that, canceled by this new body. And next he says, sown a natural body, that means just ordinary, but raised a spiritual body. Our natural bodies are okay, right? Because we're created by God in the image of God. We're redeemed and we, have, we live in earthen vessels and the, the glory of the gospel is hid in us. That's, that's good. The Spirit of God dwells in us. We need to take care of these bodies. But, but it's ordinary in the fact that your know, mom and dad got married and uh, they knew one another and this natural thing happened called a baby. It's, just, it's an ordinary thing. But raised a spiritual body. Superior supernatural and he's speaking not of matter versus immaterial things he is speaking of just ordinary versus what is spiritual that is what is supernatural the resurrection is not just a natural body being you know a dead person being given life no it is changed into a different kind of body if there's a natural body there's a spiritual body the point is They're different. This body now is different from that body then. And we have a sure and certain hope. Amen? We have a sure and certain hope. We do not fear death. We don't need to fear death. Your illness and your ailments are temporary. And I know we have in, in our congregation, I can look around and I know, you know some are dealing with cancer, some are dealing with diabetes, some are dealing with chronic pain, and on and on and on it goes. They will be no more. And your failings, not just the body, but everything else that goes along in this life, your failings are limited then. There will be no, no failings and though you're tired now, you will be renewed. And you, you might be thinking, I just want to get it over with. You've got chronic pain. You have a failing memory. It will be restored. You have bodily imperfections. Maybe you, you didn't think you were ever tall enough. Maybe you thought you were too short. Maybe you, you, know, you didn't like the facial hair, the color of your skin, their baldness. Your legs are too long. They're too short, whatever it may be. Maybe there was an injury. Maybe there was some imperfection, whatever you have you will be transformed into something glorious. Your limitations will become limitless. 
your current expiration date will be eternally renewed. Your limited days will become unlimited eternity in that body he has for us. I mean, look at your body right now. It's imperfect. I know you're dissatisfied. Everybody is. Maybe you're not the proper weight, the hair thing, disappointed and all those things that, yeah, God just he gave you the short end of the stick. You think if you've ever wanted a new body, you're going to get it. And it will be far superior. In fact, think of it this way. Um, the resurrection body that you will have is greater than any body that anybody has right now. Anybody who has ever lived except for Christ. So those disappointments, you know, why are you unhappy right now? Uh, some of you are depressed. Maybe some of you are happy. Uh, that's fine. But there's health. There are health reasons. There are relationships. There's financial problems, employment. There are dreams that don't come true. But the resurrection body you have is only the icing on the cake because all those other things are resolved at the resurrection And that way we can smile at the future and we can laugh at the future knowing that He is coming back and the blessings that accompany redemption are ours in totality when He comes back for all of us. So we have this difference that is seen in all of creation. We have this difference that is seen now and then And then he comes back and always brings it back to Christ in verses 45 through 49. The difference between earthy and heavenly. Not earthly, but earthy and heavenly. And Paul gives a new comparison. He's compared all these other things and now he says, So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, Adam, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He's talking about Adam in the garden. He became a living soul. But the last Adam is Christ. The last Adam is Christ. We've already seen this in this passage earlier on, where he said, through one man, death is spread to all. That's the Adam. But by one man, Christ, all will be made alive who believe in him. The last Adam was all about death. The new Adam is all about life. And so this first Adam, he's quoting Genesis 2.7. This says, then the Lord God formed Adam, and the name Adam means man. The Lord God formed the man, Adam, of dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. All the other animals, we don't know how he made them. He just said on these days he made the birds and the fish and the the waters were teeming with fish and birds in the sky and animals. But, but there was a specific creation of Adam where he takes the dust of the ground and he fashions the man. And, and think about this. There, there, there must have been this, this moment in time, I don't know how long it was, where Adam was just a, an inanimate body. Because it says then he, he breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being. He became what the Old Testament term is a, a nephesh, a soul. When God imparted his image and his life into Adam, and Adam became that. But Adam did not continue that, did, it? did he? He became a living soul, but he also introduced death into this creation. 
God the Father breathed life into Adam, but it was a life that was lost because through one man, Adam, all have died. The second man, Adam, Christ rather, becomes the life-giving spirit, which means that when by the resurrection, now Christ is the one who will bring us back. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He is the life-giving spirit, not just life of all life, but it means eternal, supernatural life. It comes through Christ alone when he raises us. And he says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. You have to live in this life, in a natural body, an ordinary body. And then comes the spiritual and the supernatural part. And he says, verse 47, this is where he makes this final comparison. The first man is from the earth, made of dust, literally. The second man is from heaven, made of dust. Uh, That's why it says in Genesis 3, when the curse is given, uh, God said uh, to Adam, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We are but dust. We come from dust. We're going to go back there. But there also, he says, the second man is from heaven. This speaks of our respective origins. Our origin is dust. And our origin determines our destiny unless something happens. And the something that happens is Christ, the gospel. Because we are on the trajectory of just going back to dust, and that's going to be the final judgment for us beyond the grave when there is a general resurrection and there is a heaven and a hell. But God intervenes in our lives and he brings us to Christ and then we therefore have the heavenly stamped in us. We we have that right now. We have been buried. We have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. One day that will be real. It will not just be principally true. It will not just be a spiritual reality of being born again. It will be raised again as Christ was raised. As is the earthy, the man made of dust, so also are those of the earth. We're just like Adam. But as is the heavenly, also are those who are heavenly. So we become like Christ. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we have the image of the dust of Adam, this man. But now we also will bear the image of the heavenly. And here he means image meaning physical body of resurrection. That is our hope. So here is the thing. We are to live as those who are destined for something different and something better. We must live as those who are destined for something that is different and something that is better because we are. We are destined for something better. We, will, we are like this. We will be like that when he comes back for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. God has not destined you for wrath, for judgment of hell. But he has destined you for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, we will live together with him, the resurrection. Therefore, encourage one another with this, as you are. We should be encouraged. We are to encourage one another. 
Because when we think of, well, what kind of body will this be? It's more than just some theoretical theology. There is a present reality of our being born again, but there's a future reality that we will one day be transformed. And the practical application is, live now as then. Live according to your destiny. Live in Christ and don't live in Adam. Live, to live without hope is, is, is horrible. It's terrifying. And I know some of you who are young, it's like, oh, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm young. This isn't going to happen for a long time. It might, it might. Life is short. When you're young, you don't think about it, but you will not always be young. When I was a, new, a brand new Christian, I moved home with my wife, my mother for uh, a while and trying to figure my life out and remember sleeping in one morning and I was awakened by um, the, the screech of brakes and this literally god-awful sound and a dump truck had hit a, a first grader out in front of our house. It was a time when um, the movie Superman had come out and the boys that were walking to school with him said he, he thought he was Superman and could stop the truck. Death comes to babies, death comes to first graders, death comes to eighth graders, 20-year-olds. But we have hope of the resurrection. And we are to live looking over the horizon at what is next. We can live a life of joy in the midst of suffering, knowing that that suffering is temporary. And we can live a fulfilled life knowing that the disappointments that we, 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 incur, we incur every single day, disappointments become heavenly joys. And the pain, the chronic pain, and the illness, and the treatments for those illnesses will one day be no more. And we can endure the grief of loss knowing that resurrection brings new life in Christ. So the conclusion of the matter is live now like then. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Spirit of God lives in you. You're the temple of God. But there's more. There is much, much more beyond this life. And we're, we're not supposed to just say, well, just hang on, you know, just hold on till it's over with. No, we are to ever be growing. The inner man is being renewed day by day while the outer man is decaying. So we are to ever be growing in this life, looking to the next life. And that is the hope that we have in Christ. Father, thank you for giving to us words of hope, words of mercy. I pray for each person in this room that they would heed the words of Jesus who said, you must be born again. For we know these promises are not automatic, but they are those who have turned from sin and turned to Christ as the one who died, was buried, was risen and is coming back for them. And by faith, through grace, we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. We thank you for that gift of eternal life. And I pray that you would bestow it by simple faith on each person in this room. Amen.